From Salt Lake City, Utah, this is the Sunday afternoon session of the 190th Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with speakers selected from the general authorities and general officers of the church. Music for this session is provided by the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. This broadcast is furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited. President Henry B. Eyring, second counselor in the First Presidency of the Church, will conduct this session. Brothers and sisters, we welcome you to the concluding session of the 190th Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We have been greatly blessed to participate in this celebration of the 200th anniversary of the First Vision and the Restoration. President Russell M. Nelson who presides at the conference, has asked me to conduct this session. We extend our greetings to members of the church and friends everywhere who are participating in these proceedings by radio, television, the internet, or satellite transmission. The music for this session is provided by the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square under the direction of various conductors and organists. As noted in the other sessions, the musical selections have been previously recorded. The choir will open this meeting by singing Praise to the Man. The invocation will then be offered by Elder Kevin R. Duncan of the Seventy.
our beloved Father, which art in heaven, on this sacred Palm Sunday, we bow our heads in reverence and in gratitude. And as joyful saints throughout the world, we raise our voices of praise unto thee and to thy Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we plead that thy spirit would be poured out upon the entire world, that all would witness the power of a true and living God. Father, we plead that during this week, as we earnestly and humbly fast and pray, and as we have faith in thee and in the healing power of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that all who have a desire in any way may be healed and come unto him. Father, as we look forward to the fruits of the restoration with joy in our hearts, wilt thou please strengthen us that we may ever understand and apply the teachings of Jesus Christ as found in the Book of Mormon and other scriptures. Please help us with priesthood power that any with faith may be blessed. We are grateful for the words and teachings of our living prophets and apostles and especially the most wonderful fruit of the restoration being the sacred temple covenants, which link our families, both past, present, and future, to thee in heaven. Father, we love thee. We know thou watches over us. We love our brother and Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Please help us to return to thee through him. In the sacred and holy name of Jesus Christ, amen. The choir will now favor us with The Day Dawn is Breaking. After the singing, we will hear from President Dallin H. Oaks, first counselor in the First Presidency. He will be followed by Elder Quentin L. Cook of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and Elder Ricardo P. Jimenez of the Seventy.
Even in the midst of unique trials and challenges, we are truly blessed. This General Conference has given us an outpouring of the riches and joy of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have rejoiced in the vision of the Father and the Son that commenced the restoration. We've been reminded of the miraculous coming forth of the Book of Mormon, whose central purpose is to testify of Jesus Christ and his doctrine. We've been renewed with the joyful reality of revelation to prophets and to us personally. We've heard precious testimonies of the infinite atonement of Jesus Christ and of his literal resurrection. And we've been taught other truths of the fullness of his gospel revealed to Joseph Smith after God the Father declared to that newly called prophet, This is my beloved Son, hear him. We've been affirmed in our knowledge of the restoration of the priesthood and its keys. We have been renewed in our determination to have the Lord's restored church known by its proper name, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we've been invited to join in fasting and prayer to minimize the present and future effects of a devastating worldwide pandemic. This morning, we were inspired by the Lord's living prophet, presenting an historic proclamation of the Restoration. We affirm its declaration that, quote, those who prayerfully study the message of the Restoration and act in faith will be blessed to gain their own witness of its divinity and of its purpose to prepare the world for the promised second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, end of quote. All of this is part of a divine plan whose purpose is to enable the children of God to be exalted and become like him. Referred to in the scriptures as the great plan of happiness, the plan of redemption, and the plan of salvation, that plan revealed in the restoration began with a council in heaven. As spirits, we desired to achieve the eternal life enjoyed by our heavenly parents. At that point, we had progressed as far as we could without a mortal experience in a physical body. To provide that experience, God the Father planned to create this earth. In the planned mortal life, we would be soiled by sin as we faced the opposition necessary for our spiritual growth. We would also become subject to physical death. To reclaim us from death and sin, our Heavenly Father's plan would provide a Savior. His resurrection would redeem all from death, and His atoning sacrifice would pay the price necessary for all to be cleansed from sin on the conditions prescribed to promote our growth. This atonement of Jesus Christ is central to the Father's plan. In the council in heaven, all the spirit children of God were introduced to the Father's plan, including its mortal consequences and trials, 
its heavenly helps, and its glorious destiny. We saw the end from the beginning. All of the myriads of mortals who have been born on this earth chose the Father's plan and fought for it in the heavenly contest that followed. Many also made covenants with the Father concerning what they would do in mortality. In ways that have not been revealed, our actions in the spirit world have influenced our circumstances in mortality. I will now summarize some of the principal elements of the Father's plan as they affect us during our mortal journeys and in the spirit world that follows. The purpose of mortal life and the post-mortal growth that can follow is for the offspring of God to become as He is. This is Heavenly Father's desire for all His children. To achieve this joyful destiny, eternal laws require that we must become purified beings through the atonement of Jesus Christ so we can dwell in the presence of the Father and the Son and enjoy the blessings of exaltation. As the Book of Mormon teaches, he invites all, quote, to come unto him and partake of his goodness, and he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female, and he remembereth the heathen, and all are alike unto God, end of quote. The divine plan for us to become what we are destined to become requires us to make choices to reject evil opposition that tempts mortals to act contrary to God's commandments and his plan. It also requires that we be subject to other mortal opposition, such as from the sins of others or from some defects of birth. Sometimes our needed growth is achieved better by suffering and adversity than by comfort and tranquility. And none of this mortal opposition could achieve its eternal purpose if divine intervention relieved us from all the adverse consequences of mortality. The plan reveals our destiny in eternity. The purpose and conditions of our journey in mortality and the heavenly helps we will receive. The commandments of God warn us against straying into dangerous circumstances. The teachings of inspired leaders guide our path and give assurance that promotes our eternal journey. God's plan gives us four great assurances to assist our journey through mortality. All are given to us through the atonement of Jesus Christ, the centerpiece of the plan. The first assures us that through his suffering for the sins of which we repent, we can be cleansed of those sins. Then the merciful final judge will remember them no more. Second, as part of our Savior's atonement, he took upon him all other mortal infirmities. This allows us to receive divine help and strength to bear the inevitable burdens of mortality, personal and general, such as war and pestilence. The Book of Mormon provides our clearest scriptural description of this essential power of the atonement. 
The Savior took upon him, quote, the pains and sicknesses and infirmities of his people. He will take upon him their infirmities that his bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities, end of quote. Third, the Savior, through his infinite atonement, revokes the finality of death and gives us the joyful assurance that all of us will be resurrected. The Book of Mormon teaches, quote, This restoration shall come to all, both old and young, both bond and free, both male and female, both the wicked and the righteous, and even there shall not so much as a hair of their head be lost, but everything shall be restored to its perfect frame. End of quote. We celebrate the reality of the resurrection in this Easter season. This gives us the perspective and strength to endure the mortal challenges faced by each of us and those we love. Such things as the physical, mental, or emotional deficiencies we acquire at birth or experience during our mortal lives. Because of the resurrection, we know that these mortal deficiencies are only temporary. The restored gospel assures us that the resurrection can include the opportunity to be with our family members, husband, wife, children, and parents. This is a powerful encouragement for us to fulfill our family responsibilities in mortality. It helps us live together in love in this life in anticipation of joyful reunions and associations in the next. Fourth and finally, modern revelation teaches us that our progress need not conclude with the end of mortality. Little has been revealed about this important assurance. We are told that this life is the time to prepare to meet God and that we should not procrastinate our repentance. Still, we are taught that in the spirit world, the gospel is preached even to the wicked and the disobedient who had rejected the truth, and that those taught there are capable of repentance in advance of the final judgment. Here are some other fundamentals of our Heavenly Father's plan. The restored gospel of Jesus Christ gives us a unique perspective on the subjects of chastity, marriage, and the bearing of children. It teaches that marriage, according to God's plan, is necessary for accomplishing the purpose of God's plan to provide the divinely appointed setting for mortal birth and to prepare family members for eternal life. Marriage is ordained of God unto man, the Lord said, that the earth might answer the end of its creation. In this, his plan, of course, runs counter to some strong worldly forces in law and custom. The power to create mortal life is the most exalted power God has given his children. Its use was mandated in the first commandment to Adam and Eve. But another important commandment was given to forbid its misuse. Outside the bonds of marriage, 
All uses of the procreative power are to one degree or another a sinful degrading and perversion of the most divine attribute of men and women. The emphasis the restored gospel places on this law of chastity is because of the purpose of our procreative powers in the accomplishment of God's plan. During this 200th anniversary of the first vision, which initiated the restoration, we know the Lord's plan, and we're encouraged by two centuries of its blessings through his restored church. In this year of 2020, we have what is popularly called 2020 vision for the events of the past. As we look to the future, however, our vision is far less sure. We know that two centuries after the Restoration, the spirit world now includes many mortally experienced workers to accomplish the preaching that occurs there. We also know that we now have many more temples to perform the ordinances of eternity for those who repent and embrace the Lord's gospel on either side of the veil of death. All of this furthers our Heavenly Father's plan. God's love is so great that except for the few who deliberately become sons of perdition, He has provided a destiny of glory for all of His children. Glory for all of His children. We know that the Savior will return and that there will be a millennium of peaceful reign to wrap up the mortal part of God's plan. We also know that there will be different resurrections of the just and the unjust, with the final judgment of each person always following his or her resurrection. We will be judged according to our actions, the desires of our hearts, and the kind of person we have become. This judgment will cause all of the children of God to proceed to a kingdom of glory for which their obedience has qualified them and where they will be comfortable. The judge of all this is our Savior Jesus Christ. His omniscience gives him a perfect knowledge of all of our acts and desires, both those unrepented or unchanged and those repented or righteous. Therefore, after his judgment, we will all confess that his judgments are just. In conclusion, I share the conviction that has come to me from many letters and by reviewing many requests to return to the church after name removal or apostasy. Many of our members do not fully understand this plan of salvation, which answers most questions about the doctrine and inspired policies of the restored church. We who know God's plan and who have covenanted to participate have a clear responsibility to teach these truths and do all that we can to further them for others and in our own circumstances in mortality. I testify of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, who makes it all possible. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen.
Today, I will speak on continuing revelation to prophets and continuing personal revelation to guide our lives. Sometimes we receive revelation even when we do not know the Lord's purposes. Shortly before Elder Jeffrey R. Holland was called to be an apostle in June of 1994, I had a beautiful revelatory experience that he would be called. I was a regional representative and could see no reason I would be given that knowledge. But we were companions as young missionaries in England in the early 1960s, and I had a great love for him. I considered the experience a tender mercy for me. In recent years, I have wondered if the Lord was preparing me to be junior in the 12 to an incredible missionary companion who was my junior companion when we were young missionaries. I sometimes warn young missionaries to be kind to their junior companions because they never know when they might be their senior companion. I have a firm testimony that this restored church is led by our Savior, Jesus Christ. He knows who to call as his apostles and in what order to call them. He also knows how to prepare his senior apostle to be the prophet and president of the church. We were blessed this morning to hear our beloved prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, deliver a profound bicentennial proclamation to the world with respect to the restoration of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This seminal declaration by President Nelson has made it clear that the Church of Jesus Christ owes its origin, existence, and direction for the future to the principle of continuous revelation. The new proclamation represents a loving father's communication to his children. In an earlier day, President Spencer W. Kimball expressed the feelings I have today. He stated, of all things that we should be most grateful for is that the heavens are indeed open and that the restored church of Jesus Christ is founded upon the rock of revelation. Continuous revelation is indeed the very lifeblood of the gospel of the living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, end quote. The prophet Enoch foresaw the days in which we live. The Lord acknowledged to Enoch the great wickedness that would prevail and prophesied of the great tribulations that would occur. Nevertheless, the Lord promised, but my people will I preserve and righteousness will I send down out of heaven and truth will I send forth out of the earth to bear testimony of mine only begotten. President Ezra Taft Benson taught with great power that the Book of Mormon, the keystone of our religion, came forth out of the earth in, fulfill in fulfillment of the Lord's pronouncement to any. The Father and the Son and angels and prophets appearing to the prophet Joseph Smith were directed by heaven to restore the necessary powers to the kingdom. The prophet Joseph Smith received revelation after revelation. Some have been addressed during this conference. Many revelations received by the prophet Joseph have been preserved for us in the Doctrine and Covenants. All the standard works of the Church contain the mind and will of the Lord for us in this last dispensation. In addition to these great foundational scriptures, we are blessed with continuing revelation to living prophets. 
Prophets are commissioned agents of the Lord, authorized to speak for Him. Some revelations are of monumental importance, and others enhance our understanding of essential divine truths and provide guidance for our day. We are incredibly grateful for the revelation to President Spencer W. Kimball, extending priesthood and temple blessings to all worthy male members of the Church on June 8, 1978. I've served with many of the Twelve who were present and participated when that precious revelation was received. Each of them, in personal conversations, confirmed the powerful and uniting spiritual guidance President Kimball and they had experienced. Many said it was the most powerful revelation they had received before or after that time. Those of us currently serving in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles have been blessed in our day as significant revelations have come through recent prophets. President Russell M. Nelson has been a commissioned agent of the Lord, especially with respect to revelations to help families build sanctuaries of faith in their homes, gather scattered Israel on both sides of the veil, and bless endowed members in sacred temple ordinance matters. When important changes to bless our homes were announced at the October 2018 General Conference, I testified that in the deliberations of the Council of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in the temple, after our beloved prophet petitioned the Lord for revelation, a powerful confirmation was received by all. At that time, other revelations relating to sacred temple ordinances had been received but not announced or implemented. This guidance commenced with individual prophetic revelation to President Russell M. Nelson and tender and powerful confirmation to those participating in the process. President Nelson specifically involved the sisters who preside over the Relief Society, the young women and primary organizations. The final guidance in the temple to the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles was profoundly spiritual and powerful. We each knew we had received the mind, will, and voice of the Lord. I declare with all solemnity that continuous revelation has been received and is being received through channels the Lord has established. I testify the new proclamation President Nelson delivered this morning is a revelation to bless all people. We also declare our heartfelt desire to be reunited with those who have been struggling with their testimonies, been less active, or have had their names removed from church records. We desire to feast with you upon the words of Christ at the Lord's table to learn the things we all should do. We need you. The Church needs you. The Lord needs you. Our heartfelt prayer is that you will join with us in worshiping the Savior of the world. We know that some of you may have received unkindness or other conduct that is not Christ-like. We also know that some have had challenges to their faith that may not be fully appreciated, understood, or resolved. Some of our most stalwart and faithful members have suffered a challenge to their faith for a season. I love the true account of W.W. W. Phelps, who had forsaken the church and testified against the prophet Joseph Smith in a Missouri court. After repenting, he wrote to Joseph, I know my situation, you know it, and God knows it. And I want to be saved if my friends will help me. 
Joseph did forgive him, put him back to work, and lovingly wrote, Friends at first are friends again at last. Brothers and sisters, regardless of your situation, please know that the church and its members will welcome you back. Personal revelation is available to all those who humbly seek guidance from the Lord. It is as important as prophetic revelation. Personal spiritual revelation from the Holy Ghost has resulted in millions receiving the testimony necessary to be baptized and confirmed members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Personal revelation is the profound blessing received following baptism when we are sanctified by the reception of the Holy Ghost. I can remember a special spiritual revelation when I was 15 years old. My precious brother was seeking guidance from the Lord as to how to respond to our dear father who did not want my brother to serve a mission. I prayed with sincere intent too and received personal revelation of the truthfulness of the gospel. Personal revelation is based on spiritual truths received from the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the revealer and testifier of all truth, especially that of the Savior. Without the Holy Ghost, we could not really know that Jesus is the Christ. His seminal role is to bear witness of the Father and the Son and their titles and their glory. The Holy Ghost can influence everyone in a powerful way. This influence will not be constant unless one is baptized and receives the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost serves also as a cleansing agent in the process of repentance and forgiveness. The Spirit communicates in marvelous ways. The Lord used this beautiful description. I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. Now behold, this is the Spirit of Revelation. Although its impact can be incredibly powerful, it most often comes quietly as a still small voice. The scriptures include many examples of how the Spirit influences our minds, including speaking peace to our minds, occupying our minds, enlightening our minds, and even a voice to our minds. Some principles that prepare us to receive revelation include praying for spiritual guidance. Reverently and humbly, we need to seek and ask and be patient and submissive. Preparing for inspiration. This requires that we be in harmony with the Lord's teachings and in compliance with his commandments. Partaking of the sacrament worthily. When we do this, we witness and covenant with God that we take upon ourselves the name of his Holy Son and that we remember him and keep his commandments. These principles prepare us to receive, recognize, and follow the prompting and guidance of the Holy Ghost. This includes the peaceable things which bringeth joy and life eternal. Our spiritual preparation is greatly enhanced when we regularly study the scriptures and truths of the gospel and ponder in our minds the guidance we seek. But remember to be patient and trust in the Lord's timing. Guidance is given by an omniscient Lord when he deliberately chooses to school us. The Holy Ghost will also provide revelation in our callings and assignments. In my experience, significant spiritual guidance most often comes when we are trying to bless others in fulfilling our responsibilities. I can remember as a young bishop receiving a desperate call 
from a married couple a short time before I was to catch an airplane for a business engagement. I pled with the Lord before their arrival to know how I could bless them. It was revealed to me the nature of the problem and the response I should give. That revelatory guidance allowed me to fulfill the sacred responsibilities of my calling as bishop despite very limited availability of time. Bishops all over the world also share these same kinds of experiences with me. As a stake president, I not only received important revelation, but also received personal correction that was necessary to accomplish the Lord's purposes. I assure you that revelatory guidance can be received by each of us as we humbly labor in the Lord's vineyard. Most of our guidance comes from the Holy Ghost. Sometimes, and for some purposes, it comes directly from the Lord. I personally testify that this is true. Guidance for the church as a whole comes to the president and prophet of the church. We as modern apostles have had the privilege of working and traveling with our current prophet, President Nelson. I paraphrase what Wilford Woodruff said about the prophet Joseph Smith. It is equally true of President Nelson. I have seen the workings of the Spirit of God with him and the revelations of Jesus Christ unto him and the fulfillment of those revelations, end quote. My humble plea today is that each of us will seek continuing revelation to guide our lives and follow the Spirit as we worship God the Father in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ of whom I bear witness in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Back in the mid-90s, during my college years, I was part of the fourth company of the Santiago Fire Department in Chile. While serving there, I lived at the fire station as part of the night guard. Toward the end of the year, I was told that I had to be at the fire station on New Year's Eve because on that day there was almost always some emergency. Surprised, I replied, really? Well, I remember waiting with my associates when, at midnight, fireworks began shooting off in downtown Santiago. We started hugging each other with well wishes for the new year. Suddenly, the bells at the fire station began ringing indicating that there was an emergency. We got our equipment and jumped on the fire engine. On our way to the emergency, as we passed crowds of people celebrating the new year, I noticed that they were largely unconcerned and carefree. They were relaxed and enjoying the warm summer night. Yet, somewhere nearby, the people we were hurrying to help were in serious trouble. This experience helped me realize that although our lives may at times expect the challenges and storms that will push the limits of our ability to endure, physical, mental, family, and employment challenges, natural disasters, and other matters of life or death are but some of the examples of the storms that we will face in this life. When faced with these storms, we often experience feelings of despair or fear. Or fear. President Russell M. Nelson said, 
Faith is the antidote for fear, end of quote. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. As I have seen the storms that affect pe people's lives, I have concluded that no matter what kind of storm is battering us, regardless of whether there is a solution to it or whether there is an end in sight, there is only one refuge, and it is the same for all type of storms. This single refuge provided by our Heavenly Father is our Lord Jesus Christ and His Atonement. None of us are exempt from facing these storms. Hilleman, a Book of Mormon prophet, taught us as follows. Remember that it's upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation, that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, he shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe because of the rock upon which you are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fall. Elder Robert D. Health, who had his own experiences with enduring storms, said, Suffering is universal. How we react to suffering is individual. Suffering can take us one of two ways. It can be an strengthening and purifying experience combined with faith. Or it can be a destructive force in our lives if we do not have the faith in the Lord's atoning sacrifice. End of quote. In order to enjoy the refuge that Jesus Christ and his atonement offer, we must have faith in him. A faith that will allow us to rise above all the pains of a limited, earthly perspective. He has promised that He will make our burdens light if we come unto Him in all that we do. Come unto me, He said, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lonely in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It is said that to one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To one without faith, no explanation is possible. However, we have limited understanding of the things that happen here on earth, and often we do not have answers to the question of why. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? What am I supposed to learn? When answers evade us, that is when the words expressed by our Savior to the Prophet Joseph Smith in Liberty Jail are completely applicable. My son, peace be unto thy soul. Thy adversity and thy afflictions shall be but a small moment. And then, if thou endure it well, God shall exalt thee on high. Although many people indeed believe in Jesus Christ, the key question is whether we believe him and whether we believe the things that he teaches us and asks us to do. Perhaps someone might think, what does Jesus Christ know about what is happening to me? How does he know what I need to be happy? Truly, it was our Redeemer and Intercessor to whom the prophet Isaiah was referring when he said, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The Apostle Peter also taught us about the Savior, saying, Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Although the time of Peter's own martyrdom was approaching, his words are not filled with fear or pessimism. Rather, he taught the saints to rejoice, even though they were in heaviness through manifold temptations. Peter counseled us to remember that the trial of our faith, though it be tried with fire, will lead to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ and to the salvation of our souls. Peter continued, Beloved, think it not as strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. President Russell M. Nelson taught that saints can be happy under every circumstance. When the focus of our lives is on God's plan of salvation and Jesus Christ and his gospel, we can feel joy regardless of what is happening or not happening in our lives. Joy comes from and because of him. He is the source of all joy. End of quote. Of course, it is easier to say these things when we are not in the midst of a storm than to live and apply them during the storm. But as your brother, I hope you can feel that I sincerely want to share with you how valuable it is to know that Jesus Christ and his atonement are the refuge that we all need, regardless of the storm that are battering our lives. I know that we are all children of God, that he loves us, and that we are not alone. I invite you to come and see that he can lighten your burdens and be the refuge you are seeking. Come and help others find the refuge that they so yearn for. Come and stay with us in this refuge, which will help you resist the storms of life. There is no doubt in my heart that if you come, you will see, you will help, and you will stay. The prophet Alma testified the following to his son Hilaman. I do know that whosoever shall put their trust in God shall be supported in their trials and their travels and their afflictions and shall be lifted up at the last day. The Savior himself said, Let your hearts be comforted, for all flesh is in my hands. Be still and know that I am God. Wherefore, fear not, even unto death, for in this world your joy is not full, but in me your joy is full. The hymn, Be Still, My Soul, which has touched my heart on many occasions, has a message of comfort for our souls. The lyrics read as follows. Be still, my soul. The hour is hating on when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, 
Sorrow for God, love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past. All safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. As we face the storms of life, I know that if we make our best effort and rely upon Jesus Christ and his atonement as our refuge, we will be blessed with the relief, comfort, strength, temperance, and peace that we are seeking. With certainty in our hearts that at the end of our time here on earth, we will hear the words of the Master. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen. We invite you, wherever you may be, to join the choir in singing, I know that my Redeemer lives. After the singing, we will hear from Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He will be followed by Elder L. Whitney Clayton of the Presidency of the Seventy and Elder D. Todd Christofferson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. This is the 190th Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on KSL-FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. This is the 190th Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
President Nelson, thank you for this wonderful general conference. I've already now printed the proclamation in four languages. Uh, these are the languages our children serve their missions in. So it's a wonderful thing. Thank you again. We love you. We sustain you. My dear brothers and sisters, my dear friends, each week, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints all around the globe worship our beloved Heavenly Father, the God and King of the universe, and His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. We ponder the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, the only sinless soul who ever lived, the spotless Lamb of God. As often as we partake of the sacrament in remembrance of his sacrifice and recognize that he is the center in our lives, we feel we love him and we honor him because of his profound and eternal love. Jesus Christ suffered and died for you and me. He broke open the gates of death, shattered the barriers that separated friends and loved ones, and brought hope to the hopeless, healing to the sick, and deliverance to the captive. To him, we dedicate our hearts, our lives, and our daily devotion. For this reason, we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, and we preach of Christ that our children may know to what source they may look for remission of their sins. However, being a disciple of Jesus Christ involves much more than talking and preaching of Christ. The Savior himself restored his church to help us on the path to become more like him. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is structured to provide opportunities to practice the fundamentals of discipleship. Through our participation in the Church, we learn to recognize and act on the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We develop the disposition of reaching out in compassion and kindness to others. This is an effort of a lifetime, and it requires practice. Accomplished athletes spend countless hours practicing the fundamentals of their sports. Nurses, networkers, nuclear engineers, and even I, as a competitive hobby cook in Ariad's kitchen, become capable only and skilled only as we diligently practice our craft. As an airline captain, I often train pilots using a flight simulator, a sophisticated machine that replicates the flying experience. The simulator not only helps pilots learn the fundamentals of flying, it also allows them to experience and react to unexpected events they could encounter when they take command of the real aircraft. The same principles apply for disciples of Jesus Christ. Actively participating in the Church of Jesus Christ and its great variety of opportunities will help us to be better prepared for life's changing circumstances, whatever and how serious they may be. As members of the church, we are encouraged to immerse ourselves in the words of God through his prophets 
ancient and modern. Through sincere and humble prayer to our Heavenly Father, we learn to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. We accept calls to serve, teach, plan, minister, and administer. These opportunities allow us to grow in spirit, mind, and character. They will help us prepare to make and keep sacred covenants that will bless us in this life and in the life to come. We invite all of God's children throughout the world to join us in this great endeavor. Come and see. Even during this challenging time of coronavirus, meet with us online. Meet with our missionaries online. Find out for yourselves what this church is all about. When this difficult time has passed, meet with us in our homes and in our worship places. We invite you to come and help. Come and serve with us, ministering to God's children, following the footsteps of the Savior and making this world a better place. Come and belong. You will make us stronger, and you will become better, kinder, and happier as well. Your faith will deepen and grow more resilient, more capable of withstanding the turbulences and unexpected trials of life. And how do we start? There are many possible ways. We invite you to read the Book of Mormon. If you don't have a copy, you can read it on churchofjesuschrist.org or download the Book of Mormon app. The Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ and a companion to the Old and New Testaments. We love all of these holy scriptures and learn from them. We invite you to spend some time at comeuntochrist.org to find out what members of the church teach and believe. Invite the missionaries to visit with you online or in the privacy of your home when and where this this possible. They have a message of hope and healing. These missionaries are our precious sons and daughters who serve in many places around the world on their own time and money. In the Church of Jesus Christ, you will find a family of people who are not so different from you. You will find people who need your help and who want to help you as you strive to become the best version of yourself, the person God created you to become. You might be thinking, I've made mistakes in my life. I'm not sure I could ever feel like I belong in the church of Jesus Christ. God couldn't be interested in someone like me. Jesus the Christ, though he is the King of Kings, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, does care deeply about each and every one of God's children. He cares regardless of a person's position, how poor or rich, how imperfect or proven someone is. During his mortal life, the Savior ministered to all, to the happy and accomplished, to the broken and lost, and to those without hope, 
Often the people he served and ministered to were not individuals of prominence, beauty, or wealth. Often the people he lifted up had little to offer in return but gratitude, a humble heart, and the desire to have faith. If Jesus spent his mortal life ministering to the least of these, would he not love them today? Is there not a place in his church for all of God's children, even for those who feel unworthy, forgotten, or alone? There's no threshold of perfection you must attain in order to qualify for God's grace. Your prayers do not have to be loud or eloquent or grammatically correct in order to reach heaven. In truth, God does not show favoritism. The things the world values mean nothing to him. He knows your heart, and he loves you regardless of your title, financial net worth, or number of Instagram followers. As we incline our hearts to our Heavenly Father and draw near to him, we will feel him draw near to us. We are his beloved children. Even those who reject him, even those who, like a headstrong, unruly child, become angry with God and his church, pack their backs and storm out the door, proclaiming that they are running away and never coming back. When a child runs away from home, he or she may not notice the concerned parents looking out the window with tender hearts. They watch their son or daughter go, hoping their precious child will learn something from this heart-rending experience and perhaps see life with new eyes and eventually return home. So it is with our loving Heavenly Father. He's waiting for our return. Your Savior, our Savior, tears of love and compassion in His eyes awaits your return. Even when you feel far away from God, he will see you. He will have compassion for you and run to embrace you. Come and belong. We're pilgrims walking the road of mortality in a grand search for meaning and ultimate truth. Often, all we see is a path directly ahead. We cannot see where the bends in the roads will lead. Our loving Heavenly Father has not given us every answer. He expects us to figure out many things for ourselves. He expects us to believe, even when it's difficult to do so. He expects us to straighten our shoulders and develop a little resolve, a little backbone, and take another step forward. That is the way we learn and grow. Would you honestly want everything spelled out in every detail? Would you honestly want every question answered? Every destination mapped out? I believe most of us would tire very quickly of this sort of heavily micromanagement. We learn the important lessons of life through experience, through learning from our mistakes, through repenting and realizing for ourselves that wickedness never was happiness. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died 
so that our mistakes might not condemn us and forever halt our progress. Because of him, we can repent. And our mistakes can become stepping stones to a greater glory. You don't have to walk this road alone. Our Heavenly Father has not left us to wander in darkness. This is why in the spring of 1820, he appeared with his son, Jesus Christ, to a young man, Joseph Smith. Think of that for a moment. The God of the universe appeared to man. This was the first of many encounters Joseph had with God and other heavenly beings. Many of the words these divine beings spoke to him are recorded in the scriptures of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They are easily accessible. Anyone can read them and learn for themselves the message God has for us in our day. We invite you to study them for yourself. Joseph Smith was quite young when he received these revelations. Most of them came before he was 30 years old. He lacked experience, and to some people he probably seemed underqualified to be the Lord's prophet. And yet, the Lord called him anyway, following a pattern we find throughout the Holy Scriptures. God didn't wait to find a perfect person to restore his, his gospel. If he had, he would still be waiting. Joseph was a lot like you and me. Though he made mistakes, God used him to accomplish his great purposes. President Thomas S. Monson often repeated these words of advice. Whom the Lord calls, the Lord qualifies. The Apostle Paul reasoned with the saints in Corinth, Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. God uses the weak and the plain to bring about his purposes. The truth stands as a testimony that it is God's power, not man's, that accomplishes his work on the earth. When God appeared to Joel Smith, he introduced his son, Jesus Christ, and said, hear him. Joseph spent the rest of his life hearing him and following him. As with Joseph, our discipleship begins with our decision to hear and follow the Savior, Jesus Christ. If you desire to follow him, Gather your faith and take upon yourself his cross. You will find that you do belong in his church, a place of warmth and welcoming where you can join in the grand pursuit of discipleship and happiness. It is my hope that in this bicentennial year of the first vision, as we contemplate and learn of the restoration of the church of Jesus Christ, we will realize that it is not just a historical event. You and I play a crucial part in this great continuing story. What then is you and my part? It is to learn of Jesus Christ, to study his words, to hear him and to follow him by actively participating in this great work. I invite you to come and belong.
you don't have to be perfect. You only have to have a desire to develop your faith and draw near to him each day. Our part is to love and serve God and to love and serve God's children. As you do so, God will encircle you with his love, joy, and certain guidance through his life and this life. Even under the most serious circumstances and even beyond. Of this I testify and leave you my blessing in deep gratitude and love for each one of you. In the sacred name of our Savior, our Master, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Recently, a billboard in Salt Lake City caught my eye. It advertised a furniture and interior design company. It stated simply, serving the finest homes in Salt Lake City. The message was catchy. What is a finest home? I found myself thinking about that question, especially with regard to the children my wife Kathy and I raised and the children they are raising today. Like parents everywhere, we worried about and prayed over our family. We still do. We earnestly want the very best for them. How can they and their children live in the finest homes? I have reflected on the homes of church members Kathy and I have been privileged to visit. We've been invited into homes in Korea and Kenya, in the Philippines and Peru, in Laos and Latvia. Let me share four observations about fine homes. First, from the Lord's perspective, establishing the finest homes has everything to do with the personal qualities of the people who live there. These homes aren't made fine in any important or lasting way by their furniture or by the net worth or social status of the people who own them. The finest characteristic of any home is the image of Christ reflected in the home's residence. What matters is the interior design of the souls of the inhabitants, not the structure itself. The attributes of Christ are acquired in the process of time by intentional progress along the covenant path. Christ-like attributes adorn the lives of those who strive to live with goodness. They fill homes with gospel light, whether the floor, the floor is mud or marble. Even if you are the only one in your household who, seeks, who follows the injunction to seek after these things, you can contribute to the spiritual furnishings of your family's home. We follow the Lord's counsel to organize ourselves, prepare every needful thing, and establish a house. By organizing, preparing, and establishing our spiritual lives, not our real estate. As we patiently pursue the, the Savior's covenant path, our home becomes a house of glory, a house of order, and a house of God. Second, Residents in the finest homes make time to study the scriptures and the words of living prophets every day. President Russell M. Nelson has invited us to transform and remodel our homes through gospel study. His invitation recognizes that, that fine homes house the tender, vital work of personal growth and remodeling our weaknesses. Daily repentance is a transformative tool that enables us to grow a little kinder, more loving, and more understanding.
Studying the scriptures brings us closer to the Savior whose generous love and grace and grace assist us with our growth. The Bible, Book of Mormon, and Pearl of Great Price tell the stories of families. So it's not surprising that those divine volumes are incomparable handbooks for constructing the finest homes. They chronicle the worries of parents, the perils of temptation, the triumph of righteousness, the trials of famine and abundance, and the horrors of war and rewards of peace. Again and again, the scriptures show us how families succeed through righteous living and how they fail by pursuing other paths. Third, fine homes follow the blueprint created by the Lord for his finest home, the temple. Building a temple begins with basic steps, clearing brush and leveling land. Those initial efforts to ready the ground might be compared to keeping the basic commandments. The commandments are the foundation on which discipleship is built. Steady discipleship leads us to become firm, steadfast, and immovable, like the steel framework for a temple. This steady framework allows the Lord to send His Spirit to change our hearts. Experiencing a mighty change of heart is like adding beautiful features to the interior of a temple. As we continue in faith, the Lord gradually changes us. We receive His image in our countenance and begin to reflect the love and beauty of His character. As we become more like Him, we will feel at home in His house, and He will feel at home in ours. We can maintain our home's close connection to His home by qualifying for and using a temple recommend as frequently as circumstances allow. As we do so, the holiness of the Lord's house rests in our house as well. The magnificent Salt Lake Temple stands nearby. Built with pioneers, built by pioneers with rudimentary tools, local materials, and endless hard work, the temple was constructed from 1853 to 1893. The best the early church members had to offer in engineering, architecture, and interior design created a masterpiece that is recognized by millions. Nearly 130 years have passed since the temple was dedicated. As Elder Gary E. Stevenson noted yesterday, the engineering principles used to design the temple have been replaced by newer, safer standards. Failure to enhance the temple's engineering and repair structural weaknesses would betray the confidence of the pioneers who did all they could and then left the temple's care to succeeding generations. The church has commenced a four-year restoration project to improve the temple's structural and seismic strength. The foundation's floors and walls will be fortified. The best engineering knowledge available today will bring the temple up to modern standards. We will not be able to see the structural changes, but their effects will be real and important. In all of this work, the temple's beautiful interior design features will be preserved. We should follow the example being given to us by the Salt Lake Temple renovation and take time to evaluate our own spiritual seismic engineering to make sure it is up to date. Periodic self-assessment coupled with asking the Lord, what lack I yet? can help each of us contribute to the building of a finest home. Fourth, the finest homes are refuges from the storms of life. The Lord has promised that those who keep the commandments of God prosper in the land. 
God's prosperity is the power to press forward despite the problems of life. In 2002, I learned an important lesson about problems. While in Asuncion, Paraguay, I met with the city's state presidents. At that time, Paraguay faced a terrible financial crisis, and many church members were suffering and unable to make ends meet. I had not been to South America since my mission and had never been to Paraguay. I had only been serving in that area of presidency for a few weeks. Apprehensive about my inability to give guidance to those stake presidents, I asked them to tell me only what was going well in their stakes. The first stake president told me about things that were going well. The next mentioned things that were going well and a few problems. By the time we got to the last stake president, he mentioned, he mentioned only a series of vexing challenges. As the stake presidents explained the magnitude of the situation, I grew increasingly concerned, nearly desperate about what to say. Just as the last stake president was finishing his comments, a thought came into my mind. Elder Clayton asked them this question. Presidents of the members in your stakes who pay a full tithing, pay a generous fast offering, magnify their callings in the church, actually visit their families as home teachers or visiting teachers every month, hold family home evenings, study the scriptures, and hold family prayer each day, how many have problems they cannot address on their own without the church having to step in and solve their problems for them? Responsive to the impression I had received, I asked the state presence that question. They looked at me in surprised silence and then said, pues ninguno, meaning, well, no one. They then told me that none of the members who did all of those things had problems they were incapable of resolving on their own. Why? Because they lived in the finest homes. Their faithful living provided them the strength, vision, and heavenly help they needed in the economic turmoil that surrounded them. This doesn't mean the righteous won't become ill, suffer accidents, face business reversals, or confront many other difficulties in life. Mortality always brings challenges. But time after time, I have seen that those who strive to obey the commandments are blessed to find their way forward with peace and hope. Those blessings are available to everyone. David declared, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Wherever you live, whatever your house looks like, and whatever the composition of your family, you can help build the finest home for your family. The restored gospel of Jesus Christ provides the plans for that home. The Savior is the perfect engineer, builder, and interior designer. His project is the perfection and eternal joy of our souls. With his loving help, your soul can be all he wants it to be, and you can be the finest version of yourself, prepared to establish and live in a finest home. I gratefully testify that the God and Father of us all lives. His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Savior and Redeemer of all mankind. They love us perfectly. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the Lord's kingdom on earth. Living prophets and apostles guide it today. The Book of Mormon is true. The restored gospel of Jesus Christ is the perfect blueprint for establishing finest homes. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 amen.
Throughout this general conference, we have spoken and sung with joy about the fulfillment of the long-ago prophesied restitution of all things, about bringing together in one all things in Christ, about the return of the fullness of the gospel, priesthood, and church of Jesus Christ to the earth, all of which we capture in the title, The Restoration. But the restoration is not only for those of us who rejoice in it today. The revelations of the first vision were not for Joseph Smith alone, but are offered as light and truth for any who lack wisdom. The Book of Mormon is the possession of mankind. The priesthood ordinances of salvation and exaltation were prepared for every individual, including those who no longer dwell in mortality. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its blessings are intended for all who want them. The gift of the Holy Ghost is meant for everyone. The restoration belongs to the world, and its message is especially urgent today. Wherefore, how great the importance to make these things known under the inhabitants of the earth, that they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah, who layeth down his life according to the flesh, and taketh it again by the power of the Spirit, that he may bring to pass the resurrection of the dead. From the day that the prophet's brother, Samuel Smith, filled his satchel with freshly printed copies of the Book of Mormon, and set out on foot to share the new scripture, the saints have labored without ceasing to make these things known under the inhabitants of the earth. In 1920, then Elder David O. McKay of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles began a year-long tour of the missions of the church. By May 1921, he was standing in a small cemetery in Fagali'i, Samoa, before the well-tended graves of three small children the daughter and two sons of Thomas and Sarah Hilton. These little ones, the oldest was two, died during the time Thomas and Sarah served as a young missionary couple in the late 1800s. Before he left Utah, Elder McKay promised Sarah, now a widow, that he would visit her children's graves in Samoa as she had never been able to return there. Elder McKay wrote back to her, your three little ones, Sister Hilton, in silence most eloquent, carry on your noble missionary work begun nearly 30 years ago. Then he added a verse of his own composition. By loving hands, their dying eyes were closed. By loving hands, their little limbs composed. By foreign hands, their humble graves adorned. By strangers honored and by strangers mourned. This story is but one of thousands, hundreds of thousands, that speak of the time, treasure, and lives sacrificed over the last 200 years to share the message of the Restoration. Our aspiration to reach every nation, kindred, tongue, and people is undiminished today, as witnessed by the tens of thousands of young men, women, and couples currently serving under full-time mission calls by church members who generally echo the Phillips invitation to come and see 
and by the millions of dollars spent annually to sustain that effort across the world. While our invitations are without compulsion, we hope people will find them compelling. For that to be so, I believe at least three things are required. First, your love. Second, your example. And third, your use of the Book of Mormon. Our invitations cannot be a matter of self-interest. Rather, they must be an expression of selfless love. This love, known as charity, the pure love of Christ, is ours for the asking. We're invited, even commanded, to pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart that we may be filled with this love. As an example, I share an experience related by Sister Lynette Ho-Ching, currently serving with her husband, President Francis Ho-Ching, who presides over the Samoa Apia Mission. Sister Ho-Ching relates, Years ago, our young family moved to a tiny home in Laie, Hawaii. The carport of our home had been converted into a studio apartment where a man named Jonathan lived. Jonathan had been our neighbor in another place. Feeling it wasn't a coincidence that the Lord had put us together, we decided to be more open about our activities and membership in the church. Jonathan enjoyed our friendship and loved spending time with our family. He liked learning about the gospel, but he was not interested in committing to the church. In time, Jonathan earned the nickname Uncle Jonathan with our children. As our family continued to grow, so did Jonathan's interest in our happenings. Our invitations to holiday parties, birthdays, school events, and church activities extended to family home evenings and the children's baptisms. One day, I received a phone call from Jonathan. He needed help. He suffered from diabetes and had developed a severe foot infection that required an amputation. Our family and neighboring ward members walked him through that time of trial. We took turns at the hospital and priesthood blessings were offered. While Jonathan was in rehab, with the help of Relief Society sisters, we cleaned his apartment. The priesthood brethren built a ramp to his doorway and hand railings in the bathroom. When Jonathan returned home, he was overcome with emotion. Jonathan began taking the missionary lessons again. The week before New Year's, he called me and asked, What are you doing on New Year's Eve? I reminded him about our annual party. But instead, he replied, I want you to come to my baptism. I want to start this New Year right. After 20 years of come and see, come and help, and come and stay, this precious soul was ready to be baptized. In 2018, when we were called to be mission president and companion, Jonathan's health was declining. We begged him to stay strong, awaiting our return. He carried on for almost a year, but the Lord was preparing him to come home. He passed away peacefully in April 2019. My daughters attended their Uncle Jonathan's funeral and sang the same song we sang at his baptism. I introduced the uh, second requirement for successfully sharing the message of the Restoration with this question. What is it that will make your invitation appealing to someone? Isn't it you, the example of your life? Many who have heard and received the message of the Restoration were initially attracted by what they perceived in a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. 
It may have been the way they treated others, the things they said or didn't say, the steadiness they displayed in difficult situations, or simply their countenance. Whatever it may be, we cannot escape the fact that we need to understand and live the principles of the restored gospel as best we can for our invitations to be inviting. It's something often referred to today as authenticity. If the love of Christ dwells in us, others will know that our love for them is genuine. If the light of the Holy Spirit burns within us, it will rekindle the light of Christ within them. What you are lends authenticity to your invitation to come experience the joy of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third requisite is liberal use of the instrument of conversion that God designed for this last gospel dispensation, the Book of Mormon. It is palpable evidence of Joseph Smith's prophetic calling and convincing evidence of the divinity and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Its exposition of our Heavenly Father's plan of redemption is unequaled. When you share the Book of Mormon, you share the restoration. When Jason Olson was a teenager, he was warned repeatedly by family members and others against becoming a Christian. He had two good friends, however, who were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they often discussed religion. His friends Shay and Dave respectfully countered arguments that others had given Jason against faith in Jesus Christ. Finally, they gave him a copy of the Book of Mormon, saying, This book will answer your questions. Please read it. He reluctantly accepted the book and put it in his backpack, where it stayed for several months. He didn't want to leave it at home where his family might see it, and he didn't want to disappoint Shay and Dave by returning it. Finally, he settled on the solution of burning the book. One night with a lighter in one hand and the Book of Mormon in the other, he was about to set fire to the book when he heard a voice in his mind that said, Do not burn my book. Startled, he paused, then thinking he had imagined the voice, he attempted again to ignite the lighter. Again, the voice came to his mind, Go to your room and read my book. Jason put the lighter away, walked back to his bedroom, opened the Book of Mormon, and began to read. He continued day after day, often into the early hours of the morning. As Jason came to the end and prayed, he recorded, I was filled from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet with the Spirit. I felt full of light. It was the most joyous experience I had ever had in my life. He sought baptism and later became a missionary himself. Perhaps it goes without saying that despite genuine love and sincerity, many, if not most, of our invitations to share the message of the restoration will be declined. But remember this, everyone is worthy of such an invitation. All are alike unto God. The Lord is pleased with every effort we make, no matter the outcome. A declined invitation is no reason for our association to end. And a lack of interest today may well turn to interest tomorrow. Regardless, our love remains constant. Let us never forget that the restoration has come out of intense ordeal and sacrifice. That is a subject for another day. 
Today we rejoice in the fruits of the restoration, one of the most surpassing being the power once again to bind on earth and in heaven. As expressed years ago by President Gordon B. Hinckley, if nothing else came out of all of the sorrow and travail and pain of the restoration, then the sealing power of the holy priesthood to bind together families forever, it would have been worth all that it has cost. The ultimate promise of the restoration is redemption through Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proof that he, in fact, possesses power to redeem all who will come unto him. Redeem them from sorrow, injustice, regret, sin, and even death. Today is Palm Sunday. A week from today is Easter. We remember, we always remember, Christ's suffering and death to atone for our sins. And we celebrate that most wonderful of Sundays, the Lord's Day, on which he rose from the dead. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the restoration has meaning. Our mortal lives have meaning. And ultimately, our very existence has meaning. Joseph Smith, the great prophet of the restoration, offers the overarching testimony for our time of the resurrected Christ, that he lives, for we saw him, even on the right hand of God. I humbly add my witness to Joseph's and to that of the apostles and prophets before him and the apostles and prophets who have succeeded him, that Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah, the only begotten Son of God and the resurrected Redeemer of all mankind. We testify that those who prayerfully study the message of the restoration and act in faith will be blessed to gain their own witness of its divinity and of its purpose to prepare the world for the promised second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ's resurrection makes his promises sure. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. At the conclusion of the conference, we express sincere and heartfelt appreciation to all who have worked so tirelessly to enable the conference to go forward under these unique circumstances. We thank those who have spoken and are grateful for the uplifting music. The concluding speaker for this session will be our beloved prophet, President Russell M. Nelson. Following his remarks, the closing hymn will be, We Thank Thee, O God, for a Prophet, which was recorded by the Tabernacle Choir on Temple Square and six other choirs from around the world. After the choirs sing verses 1 through 3, we invite the congregation, wherever you may be, to join in singing again the first verse. The benediction will then be offered by Elder Lynn G. Robbins of the Seventy, and the conference will be adjourned. My beloved brothers and sisters, as we come to the end of this historic conference, we express our gratitude to the Lord. The music has been sublime and the message is inspiring. During this conference, we have experienced many highlights 
On this bicentennial anniversary, we have introduced a proclamation to the world declaring the reality of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ in its fullness. We commemorated the restoration with a Hosanna shout. We unveiled a new symbol signifying our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and for visual recognition of official church information and materials. We have called for a global day of fasting and prayer that the present pandemic may be controlled, caretakers, caregivers protected, the economy strengthened, and life normalized. This fast will be held on Good Friday, April 10th. What a great Friday that will be. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday, when we will again commemorate the atonement and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his atonement, his gift of resurrection will come to all who have ever lived. And his gift of eternal life will come to all who qualify by fidelity to ordinances and covenants made in his holy temples. The many inspiring components of this April 2020 General Conference and the sacred week that we now begin can be summarized by two divinely decreed words. Hear him. We pray that you're focused on Heavenly Father who spoke those words and on his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, will loom largest in your memories of all that has transpired. We pray that you will begin anew, truly, to hear hearken to and heed the words of the Savior. I promise that decreased fear and increased faith will follow. Thank you for your desire to make your homes true sanctuaries of faith where the Spirit of the Lord may dwell. Our gospel study curriculum, Come, Follow Me, will continue to bless your lives, your consistent efforts in this endeavor, even during those moments when you feel that you're not being particularly successful, will change your life, that of your family and the world. We will be strengthened as we become even more valiant disciples of the Lord, standing up and speaking up for him wherever we are. Now let's talk about temples. We have 168 dedicated temples across the world. Others are at various stages of planning and construction. When plans are announced to erect a new temple, it becomes part of our sacred history. It may seem odd to announce new temples when all our temples are closed for a while. More than a century ago, President Wilfred Woodruff foresaw conditions such as ours today. As recorded in his dedicatory prayer of the Salt Lake Temple, given in 1893. Some of you may have seen excerpts from this remarkable prayer on social media. Hear these pleadings from a mighty prophet of God, quote, When thy people shall not have the opportunity of entering this holy house, and they are oppressed and in trouble, surrounded by difficulties, and shall turn their faces towards this holy house, and ask thee for deliverance, for help, for thy power to be extended in their behalf, we beseech thee to look down from thy holy habitation in mercy and listen to their cries. Or when the children of thy people shall be separated through any cause from this place, and they shall cry unto thee from the depths of their affliction and sorrow, to extend relief and deliverance to them. 
we humbly entreat thee to hearken to their cries and grant unto them the blessing for which they ask. Close quote. Brothers and sisters, during times of our distress, when temples are closed, you can still draw upon the power of your temple covenants and endowment as you honor your covenants. Please use this time when temples are closed to continue to live a temple-worthy life or to become temple-worthy. Talk about the temple with your family and friends because Jesus Christ is at the center of everything we do in the temple. As you think more about the temple, you will be thinking more about him. Study and pray to learn more about the power and knowledge with which you have been endowed or with which you will yet be endowed. Today, we are pleased to announce plans to construct eight new temples in the following locations. Bahia Blanca, Argentina. Tallahassee, Florida. Lubumbashi, Democratic Republic of the Congo. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Benin City, Nigeria. Syracuse, Utah. Dubai, United Arab Emirates. And Shanghai, People's Republic of China. In all eight locations, church architects will work with local officials so that the temple will harmonize with and be a beautiful addition to each community. The plan for a temple in Dubai comes in response to their gracious invitation, which we gratefully acknowledge. Context for the plan for Shanghai is very important. For more than two decades, temple-worthy members in the People's Republic of China have attended the Hong Kong China Temple. But in July 2019, that temple was closed for long-planned and much-needed renovation. In Shanghai, a modest multi-purpose meeting place will provide a way for Chinese members to continue to participate in ordinances of the temple in the People's Republic of China for them and their ancestors. In every country, this church teaches its members to honor, obey, and sustain the law. We teach the importance of the family, of being good parents and exemplary citizens. Because we respect the laws and regulations of the People's Republic of China, the church does not send proselyting missionaries there, nor will we do so now. Expatriate and Chinese congregations will continue to meet separately. The church's legal station status there remains unchanged. In an initial phase of facility use, Entry will be by appointment only. The Shanghai Temple will not be a temple for tourists from other countries. These eight new temples will bless the lives of many people on both sides of the veil of death. Temples are a crowning part of the restoration of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In God's goodness and generosity, he is bringing the blessings of the temple closer to his children everywhere. 
As the restoration continues, I know God will continue to reveal many great and important things pertaining to his kingdom here on earth. That kingdom is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Dear brothers and sisters, I express my love for you. During this time of tension and uncertainty, invoking the authority vested in me, I would like to confer upon you an apostolic blessing. I bless you with peace and increasing faith in the Lord. I bless you with a desire to repent and become a little more like him each day. I bless you to know that the prophet Joseph Smith is the prophet of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ in its fullness. Should there be illness among you or your loved ones, I leave a blessing of healing consistent with the will of the Lord. I so bless you, adding once more my expression of love for each of you. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen.
loving and kind Father in heaven. We indeed are grateful for a living prophet to lead and guide us in these latter days. We are grateful for continuing revelation through prophets, seers, and revelators, and to witness the ongoing rolling forth of the restoration. We are grateful for inspired messages, beautiful music. We're grateful for the uh, solemn assembly, for this new proclamation, and pray that we may be inspired as we read and reread it, and for these new temples that have now been announced. Father, we pray that through this pandemic, we might be reminded of thy tender mercies that have been manifest throughout the course of history in delivering thy people from tribulation and from the storms of life. While we simultaneously recognize the growth and lessons to be learned from such trials. Father, we look forward with great anticipation to the worldwide fast that will occur this Friday as we begin the Easter weekend. Father, as we conclude this great conference, we pray that the Spirit may strengthen our desire to press forward with the steadfastness in Jesus Christ and to hear him. Thy invitation to each one of us and specifically mentioned earlier today by our beloved prophet. And we pray for these blessings and thank thee in this sacred and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. broadcast of the 190th Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Speakers were selected from the general authorities and general officers of the church. Music was provided by the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. This broadcast has been furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited. This is the 190th Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on KSL-FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. Your car to Charity Hotline. This is Guido. I mean, Roger. Hi, um, Roger, I'd like to donate my car. Yeah, good. Leave the keys in it, park it on the street, and we'll send it. I mean, totally. Where, uh, where's your office? In New Jersey, where you want it to be. Well, Roger, yeah. I want to make sure my donation helps Utah kidney patients. It will. Uh, which ones? Well, you know, does it matter? Yes, I want the money to stay in Utah. And boy, have you got the wrong number. If you want your car donation to help people here in Utah, turn your car into a kidney car for the National Kidney Foundation of Utah and Idaho. Hi, this is Luz Lewis Perez. Kidney Cars is the Beehive State's number one choice for charity car donation since 1990. When you donate your car to Kidney Cars, funding stays in Utah to help local Utah kidney patients and funds local medical research. Kidney Cars gets donors the highest tax deduction along with free towing. Visit towcars.org and learn more. That's towcars with a K like kidney. That's T-O-W-K-A-R-S dot org.
New at Deseret Book, the divine